0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Welcome to the show! Today we are
1: going to give you the second part of our coverage of Mary Todd Lincoln. We highly recommend that you go back and listen to part one, but here is a tiny, teeny little recap, comically short, that uh, will get you in the picture if you don't have time to go back right now. Mary was born in Lexington, Kentucky. She was the daughter of a rich man who married an up-and-coming politician based on, I think, nothing more than seeing his potential. And somehow, together, they formed him into a presidential candidate, a long shot, who won the White House. And now,
0: Mary Lincoln and her husband, Abraham, are on their way. And so we begin perfect recap. Now, Mary had always craved attention her entire life, and as First Lady, she was about to get it, but a lot of it wasn't actually good. For instance, one of the first bits of attention she got was death threats, including ones that were addressed to her. Letters were coming for them from Southerners who were completely ticked off that an anti-slavery president had been elected. And since
1: Abraham Lincoln had been elected, South Carolina had seceded from the Union in protest of the Republican Party's platform that slavery is wrong as an institution. So to them, Abraham Lincoln's win was just nothing more than a slap in the face to their way of life. I should point out here that for those of you who are confused that the Republicans were the ones that were anti-slavery, you should know, and I'll provide you a link to the explanation, that at some point, Between Abraham Lincoln and, say, FDR, the Republican and Democratic parties switched their platforms nearly completely. So we'll provide you a link to how exactly that happened. It's much too convoluted to explain here. Early in February, before the inauguration, South Carolina, of course, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and Louisiana formed the Confederacy. This is not a good beginning for any president. It's a little bit stressful, shall we say.
0: <laughs> it's a lot of bit stressful. I mean, within a month, Jefferson Davis was elected president of the Confederate States of America. And then Abraham Lincoln was elected president of all the rest. <laughs> you know? How, what confusion it must have been at the time. And for his wife... Depending on which way the wind blew, the literal wind,
1: not the winds of change, her house, her new house, the White House, smelled of swamp or of human poo, as it was inconveniently downwind most of the time from the night soil men's dumping grounds.
0: Yeah, that White House that she came to wasn't exactly the White House that she had imagined in her head. She had imagined that the White House should be kind of like Versailles. The White House should have been an example of everything that was great about America. And she walked in and it was a mess. There was torn carpets and torn wallpaper. Everything was stained and dirty. And like you said, it was stinky. James Buchanan was a bachelor president who had vacated the White House before Lincoln, and he didn't leave a great legacy in any regard, and the house that she walked into was certainly one of those parts. There were mushrooms growing out of the ceiling, if that gives you the level
1: of (laughs) funk that was happening around here, and generations of tourists had felt free to cut pieces out of the curtains for souvenirs. You know, one guy could do it, probably hide the evidence, but hundreds of guys cannot be cutting pieces out of your curtains and have the curtains look like anything but those snowflakes that you make in preschool that you tape on the window.
0: (laughs) Now, as in the press, they were already saying that The Lincolns were, you know, backwater pioneers. It was like the Beverly
1: Hillbillies had come to town in some people's regard. They didn't comprehend her background or her education. There was lots of talk in the papers about how she used to slop the
0: pigs and milk the cows. She's reading these articles that don't even reflect the life that she's lived. You know, she grew up very affluent. She was very cultured and refined. And people are calling her in these articles that saying that they had no taste and no class. She had to fight that. Well, Mary had been struggling to find her sphere.
1: She's really shut out of policy. That has happened pretty much on the climb to the presidency Shut out, at least officially, that you still have the, what do they call that? The pillow cabinet where, you know, you can put words in his ear in the night that others don't have that avenue. (laughs) But um, she thought, okay, I need a project and refurbishment could be my project. But before she could get really to terms with what she saw as, you know, her contribution, you could soon literally see a Confederate flag flying on the roof of a tavern.
0: In Virginia, just by climbing onto the roof of the White House. That is alarming. It's right there, and there's there's a Union camp on the lawn of the White House. Here's a
1: Marie Antoinette reference, second one already, so soon. Wow. Like the Swiss guards and Marie Antoinette's family, just for months, the family was basically guarded by thousands of troops. The guards practiced their marksmanship by shooting into the plaster walls, which really did not add to the ambiance. <laughs>
0: No, not really.
1: Now, as the actual fighting began, Mary went out, not to nurse exactly, but she'd read to wounded soldiers or hold their hands. Um, She'd bring treats. She'd write their letters for them and console them. She bought thousands of dollars worth of oranges and lemons with her own personal money when there was an outbreak of scurvy. So she didn't have to do that. And she did. She should have taken the press with her on these trips, but she declined the publicity, which is noble in the short term, but very short-sighted for the long term.
0: Yeah, because all they could see was the stuff that was out in public. But so much of her good work was tainted, so tainted, by
1: Mary's expenditure on the White House. There's a general allowance. Every president got $20,000, which is about $530,000 in today's money. And Abraham Lincoln was content to let her handle this. The wife, who did her own cleaning instead of paying a maid most of the time, And known for haggling in the Springfield markets, she would do a great job. That was in the one less thing department. He had serious things to worry about. He was going to let her handle it. But Mary overran her budget by so much money. I mean, $2,500 carpets running water. I mean, back of the hand on the forehead running water. Oh,
0: no. She had $7,000 wallpaper and $3,000 china. Um, It's the first china that was ever picked out by a first lady. I'll put a picture in the show notes. It's from Limoges, however. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she was fluent in French.
1: (laughs) Uh, And new velvet draperies to replace the Swiss cheese draperies she had had. You know, more than the sheer dollar amount. This embarrassment to her husband who had... Just been having meetings with his advisors on the necessity of pulling in our belt as a nation to be presented with these bills, enraged him. Like, how could you spend all this money on flub dubs, his exact word, flub dubs, <laughs> when our soldiers don't have food or supplies? Now, you know how when somebody's mad at you and just mad, you can just not care. But the
0: thing is, he was very disappointed in her. And that's hard. That's worse. That is hard. I mean, if for a marriage like theirs, he wasn't really that kind of person. Like, she was the yeller. So for him to get that upset, that must have just got her deep... So she actually did something about it. She wanted to help contribute. So she started to sell some of the White House furniture. She's thinned down the staff a little bit. There was even a uh, campaign to sell White House stable manure, (laughs) a scheme that she devised with a gardener. I mean, okay. Okay. Well, she
1: got some sympathetic people that would pass appropriations bills with some of her overages kind of hidden in there. And they were able to pay down some of the White House debt that way. And a scheme with the gardener that did not, in fact, involve legitimate sales of manure, although that was going on, too, but did involve him padding out his receipts and giving her the difference.
0: There was a kickback scheme with the gardener. A little bit shady. Yeah, but you got to give the woman some credit, you know? She's trying to solve a problem. Well, and she had one of the house to reflect what she thought
1: was her and Abraham's high position. And I just think she lost sight of the big picture. I, i That's another Marie Antoinette moment, though. Like, of course, that publicity is going to be what gets out. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so Mary's loyalty to the union became an issue. Kentucky, which never actually seceded from the union, which blew my mind... really (laughs) after having been there every year for the past 20 with so much civil war history and uh, by the way that's the most half and half state in the whole union like half union half confederate and we you and i susan live in the Mm -hmm. second most half and half state
0: how about that
1: so in those two states uh you know and west virginia i guess uh, but in those two states in particular It really was kind of brother against brother and neighbor against neighbor because your chances are one in two Mm -hmm. that the guy next to you is going to be
0: opposing you. In Mary's own family, there were people that were fighting for the Confederacy. So even in her own family, she's divided. Everybody's looking at her saying she's from Kentucky. She's from the South. She talks like a Southerner. She must be a Confederate sympathizer. But she wasn't, not at all.
1: Even her own family was nearly half and half divided. Remember, there was the first family of Todd's from the first mama. Nearly all of them but one were union supporters. And nearly all the second family went with the Confederacy. Her half-brother David Todd became notorious right about now for his cruelty in running a prison. The conditions were shocking. His callousness was shocking this early in the war, although later, I assure you, people got very used to and numb to this sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. the building, his prison, was hot. And when the Union prisoners would, you know, stick out their heads to get a bit of air, he would order them shot. Just shoot their heads. Or if they stick their hand out, shoot their hand. He once kicked a dead soldier into the street and left him overnight. Ew. So that is kind of sticking to Mary, too. Mary was too Southern for the Unionists and too Northern for the Confederates, by the way. She was constantly suspected of spying, of passing information, or of diverting funds or supplies to the Confederacy. Now, here's some stuff, though, that's that's not necessarily good stuff. It's just (laughs) stuff. There arose a system of influence peddling, let's call it patronage. Hmm. Hmm. People who had a request would often waylay Mrs. Lincoln with the promise of a favor, or a present, or to pay one of her bills, would that get them a word in the president's ear? Yes, it would. It was like a royal mistress. That's like the role she used to play. It's kind of the intermediary. If I give you diamonds, you'll give me this. And kind of 19th century regular, really. It wasn't as shocking then as it is now. Like You don't expect to see Laura Bush or Michelle Obama making deals on the way out to the helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) But this was really the only power that Mary had. It was that of influence. And she Mm -hmm. made a lot of enemies this way. Like by taking some clients and not taking others or not being successful. Um, I read a book that said she was Abraham Lincoln's tainted counterpart. So what I'm taking from that is she did the deals that Abraham Lincoln was too upright to deal with. I cannot imagine he was ignorant of this back alley dealing. And I have no confirmation of this. Maybe he was in blissful ignorance, but I really don't think so, especially
0: since it wasn't unusual for the 19th century for this to be happening.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and he knew his wife. It's not like they just met. You know, they've been married a very long time. So he knows what things are coming out from her heart and which ones aren't. Uh, Just like she had considered the White House to be a symbol of American power, she considered herself to be an important symbol of... as almost as a military officer, she saw herself, her role. So she decided that her style was sort of royal. And she modeled her dresses after Empress Eugenie, the wife of Napoleon III. Uh, the dresses were very low cut, bare neck and arms. Dresses at this time took
1: up to 16 yards of fabric and accessories and jewels and undergarments. It could really, really add up. So Madam President, which is her preferred title... Well, this is the closest thing the U.S. has to a queen, right? Right. we got to look the part. She found and hired Mrs. Elizabeth Keckley, a woman who had once been a slave, but now was a well-known, they called it a mantua maker, for society women. She hired this
0: lady as her personal
1: fashion designer.
0: Right from the get-go, I mean, she was recommended to marry during the inauguration. Their relationship goes back to the very beginning of Lincoln's presidency.
1: So we will talk about their relationship more in the next episode. So spoiler alert for that, because we both found Elizabeth Keckley to be quite, quite fascinating. Oh, yes. So for now, with regard to Elizabeth Keckley, all you need to remember is cost overruns. And the other two words are best friend. (laughs) So really, that'll be that'll be enough to be going on with until the next episode. But Mary, such a controversial figure. She could do nothing right. Nothing right. Meddling in men's affairs instead of staying properly in the woman's sphere like her predecessors. Now, yes, her predecessors mostly hid in the residence and emerged only on state occasions. I think that was a matter of self-preservation.
0: Buchanan didn't have a wife, so that's their most immediate memory. Mary
1: was such an anomaly because women were often raised to say little to strange men, undereducated to a fault, and they were very hesitant to appear in public. And Mary wanted the spotlight. She wanted to talk about things, and she could in two different languages. And she would shake thousands of hands at a reception. Quite happily, the Lincoln White House was considered... The most open White House there has ever been. Many people who actually met her in person at a formal event, as long as they were strong in their own personality, were quite charmed. But it seems that either you liked her or you hated her. There just seemed to be no real middle ground. Well, people called her La the queen, or the old lady, or the hellcat. Not to her face, likely. No, probably not. Mary could not resist reading all of her press,
0: even the bad, which she was no good at handling. So why torture yourself? Why? I don't know. Somebody prohibited me from reading iTunes reviews for the same reason. Who could that have been? I think it was Beckett Graham. Ah. And I stopped. So if you want to tell me something, send me an email. I I have a hard time keeping up with the emails. I've said that before. I might say that on every episode to make people feel better. A lot of the women who were raised to be proper, in quotes, thought
1: that her willingness to have verbal sparring matches with whoever teed up was plain old horrifying. <laughs> Mary Mary would have done so much better now. Like, now. She's not a good fit for this era at all. Like, okay, imagine Chelsea Handler in the Wayback Machine. It's not this. ha ha ha. Sarah, I'm not even joking. That is like as clear as a misfit as I can tell you about. Maybe she was just born at the wrong time. I just, I find the reaction people have to her quite frustrating. And then what I see as her somewhat, at least at the beginning, natural reaction to all of this ridiculousness is seen as further evidence of her craziness.
0: I was kind of surprised the, the first episode, you know, we we posted it already and um, people were writing us like a lot. There's a lot of Mary supporters out there. They're like, oh, I'm so glad that she's getting some fair treatment and that her side of the story is being told because her legacy is not all that favorable. Mm-mm. You know, those, those those haters are the ones whose voices stayed the longest. Well, now, I have to say
1: she was not an angel. I mean, she had this habit of dismissing people after any perceived slight. It started way back when she met Abraham Lincoln. Anybody who insulted him insulted her, and they were dead to her forever, etc. This <laughs> habit was really starting to bite her badly in the hiney in Washington. The ranks of people she could count on as friends were really dwindling. I have another pop culture reference that I might cut out, so I I don't know why she inspired me to give you so many pop culture references. (laughs) Okay, so right now, she's Paris Geller in Gilmore Girls, especially the episode where the whole Yale newspaper staff stage a coup against her. So she scares people, and they're afraid, and she has, like, one friend— And she found great comfort in Mrs. Keckley and her steadiness, but Mary wasn't easy to like on the surface. So any loneliness was kind of her own doing.
0: Oh, my gosh. Paris Geller. Yes. You nailed it. I just, I really think,
1: like, if you get to know her and you can dig past all the mess, you're fine. But are you motivated to get to that point? Not usually.
0: No, no. But you know what? On the flip side, that's the thing I liked about her so much. She was so multi dimensional. unlike a lot of women of the time. Well, as to
1: her temper, whenever any men talked to Abraham Lincoln about it, he would just laugh. And he would say, if you knew how little harm her storms do to me and how beneficial they are to her, you would not fret. Or wonder that I'm often a very meek man. <laughs> well, she planned and executed what should have been her greatest triumph. This luxurious, lavish, tasteful, tasteful, impressive, mm-hmm. sought, After invitation to evening party, I assure you, if you didn't get an invitation to this, you turned all the lights off in your house and laid down in your closet and pretended to be out of town. (laughs) The papers called it the most superb affair ever seen in this city. But Mary missed most of the night because her 11-year-old son, Willie, was sick, horribly sick, upstairs in his
0: bed. Her parenting style didn't change a lot you know, just because she was in Washington. And the the boys were often running around the White House. The way I saw it is they brought a lot of spirit to a very somber time. We have to remember that joy of being a child, even in war. Well,
1: the next two weeks were absolute torture for Mary. Willie was her favorite son. It has to be said. Mm -hmm. And he sounds delightful, you know, quick and funny and, and kind of like swaggery manly while still being firmly mama's boy, like 100% willing to come give hugs and hang out with his parents and stuff. And he and his younger brother, Tad, uh, got typhoid fever, maybe from their habit of playing around several dumps. And, you know, in the 1860s, a dump's going to have mostly organic material in
0: it that's decaying. I read some places where they thought that it was contracted from the drinking water that had been contaminated by the military camp Mm -hmm. that was surrounding the White House. Yeah,
1: they just didn't understand about sanitation uh, as clearly as... As they do now. But no. It's a hard illness, typhoid fever, with a lot of suffering, I'm sorry to say. And while Tad did get better, Willie did not. He died. He died. And both parents fell apart in their own ways. Mary did not go to the funeral. She never went in either his room or the room in which he died ever again. She gave away all his things. She couldn't get out of bed for three weeks three weeks after this happened, uh, seems kind of natural to me. Actually, that does seem
0: a hundred percent natural to me. Uh, yeah. I don't know how she would even get up after that. I mean, this was her second son to die that she had to watch, you know,
1: but get this, this seemed to have violated some kind of standard at a time. This is, uh, so you can't even get a break here at a time when, Quote, many mothers were losing their own sons. Providence seems to have interfered to put a stop to any more parties at the White House. The death of Willie Lincoln was God's scourge on an evil woman. F them, is what I have to say. Come on! That seems so harsh to me. No, it's very harsh. Would you say that to your worst enemy? You would not. No! But they felt free to just post that, like, no one's ever going to tell her she's never going to read it. I don't know. Whatever. Ugh. Her only friend, her only true friend, seemed to be Elizabeth Keckley, and thank goodness for her. That's all I'm saying about that. Thank goodness for her. She hardly spoke to Tad anymore, at least for a while, because he reminded her too much of Willie. Um, Abraham locked himself in Willie's room every Thursday and cried. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting, I got sons. I know. Well,
1: and you know, you know, if you've been adding up the years, we've been talking about our sons that we both have an 11 year old son. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of hitting me kind of hard and I hate talking about it. And honestly, I'm not even that superstitious and I've knocked on wood practically every time I've thought about it.
0: I know. know, Cause you always, we always sit there and go, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And I don't want to have to. But you can
1: imagine. That's like the part that's making us feel upset right now.
0: I know. like a fear like no other you know so mary
1: resorted to spiritualists and mediums to try to reach Willie. there were more than five seances in the white house to which abraham lincoln did go and before you think this is kind of outer limits cockamamie where the heck did this come from you should know that there were more spiritualists in this country than abolitionists at the time if you think that's a little kooky like a lone Lone Ranger type of thing, there was a surge in this after and during the Civil War. And I wonder if it's because this is the first time people had been able to see photographs from the battlefield. Oh, It's all abstract, off to battle in glory, blah, blah, blah. It's a whole other thing. And paintings are one thing, but a photograph mm-hmm. of the aftermath of a battle might have opened some new ground with regard to trying to get a hold of your loved ones in the afterlife.
0: Sure. And and the the pain level, it's one thing, like you just said, to imagine it, maybe romanticize it. You know, he died for his country, but then to actually see it. Yeah. You can't hide from that. Mary's
1: sister, Emily, who was the wife of a Confederate officer that had been killed in a battle, came to visit them during the war. This sister was part of that second family of Todd's. She was 18 years younger than Mary. Remember, most of that second family went Confederate. And the two couples had had a good relationship before the war. Abraham Lincoln had actually offered Emily's husband a commission in the Union Army, which he had declined. The press around this visit was so not good. She was called the Confederate in the White House. And Abraham Lincoln had created a special pass for her. And at first, it was so good to have a friend. So good. One odd thing Emily reported that had happened was that Sister Mary would burst into Emily's room... And talk about having seen Willie's ghost. He came to see her, and how she was so happy about it, and her eyes were shining, and she was glowing from the inside. Now, dreams or hallucinations? I just don't know, or reality. You know, others claim to have seen him too. Grant's whole staff uh-huh. in the eighteen seventies seems to have been the last one to see him walking around. So I'm not. I'm. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, The White House is often considered to be a very haunted place. Yeah. So she also saw Andrew Jackson lying in his bed in the Rose Room and swearing up a storm. So. But again, (laughs) so have others. So have others. How come Abigail Adams's ghost has to do laundry for eternity (laughs) and everybody else gets to lay on their bed and swear? That is so uncool. But anyway, yeah, we'll have to send you to a link about all the ghosts that purport to haunt the White House. In fact, Abraham Lincoln's ghost once startled a foreign visitor, a queen, into fainting on the floor. And Winston Churchill simply lit his cigar and started talking to the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. So when we say (laughs) Willie's ghost came back...
0: He wasn't alone.
1: (laughs) It fits into a narrative of the White House. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, anyway, there was tension between the sisters, Emily and Mary, Uh, after that visit, not over ghosts, but the war and the whole you killed my husband thing because Emily's husband died as a result of Mm -hmm. Lincoln sending troops, you know, because he's directing the war and he's directing the Union side. I don't know what the expectation is. Emily and Mary never really spoke again after this visit. She cut off several members of her family this way. One of her brothers died Her confederate brothers died, and her response was, well, he'd made his choice. I refuse to feel bad about it. (laughs) For a woman who loved deeply, she could be so cold, too. Yeah. Eventually, gradually, after the death of Willie, she began to emerge into the world. She threw her support. I think this is kind of good. She threw her support around a cause that was very dear to Elizabeth Keckley, that of the contrabands, which is what the name was for slaves who had escaped, they'd made it up north and here they are and they have nothing. See, we always think about the Underground Railroad. We're going north, we're going north, and then north is seen as success. But then what? Because you don't have anything. Right. And so um, she worked to raise money for supplies for them, which I thought was quite great. Some An no. aspect I'd never thought of.
0: And how wonderful that the two of them could work on it together. Working with your best friend on a project. That's fabulous. That's great. Even that it did this great thing, you know, just for them, for their relationship. And she needed that. She traveled (laughs) extensively without her husband.
1: Shockingly. Although she had guards with her. Mm -hmm. She climbed mountains and visited the ocean. She was a victim of a coaching accident that was thought perhaps to have been an assassination attempt. Not. To her, but to her husband, she was riding in a carriage and the driver's seat had been loosened and in fact flew off. And the driver flew off and the horses began to run and she Mm -hmm. had to leap out of the carriage to save herself. She received a giant head wound during that accident, you know, accident or assassination attempt. The jury's still out on that one. But yeah, did someone tamper with that? I don't know. But from then on, she suffered worse headaches than ever before. She'd always had migraines. But some say there had been a personality change that dates from about this time. And um, she always had also menstrual trouble. And Tad's big old head had messed up her urinary tract. So she had a constant UTI. She never <laughs> felt awesome. Let's just
0: put it that way. Never. No. I'm sorry, Tad's big old head. That's what I'm laughing about.
1: <laughs> He's named because his head was giant and he was called Tadpole, and it, it didn't come without a price. Yep. She organized a salon of sorts who met in the White House to discuss law and literature and war and gossip and business and influence and mostly men, often of shady reputation but great charm. Rhett Butler, is that you? Uh, Was she working up support for her husband's second term? Was she working on a way to pay her exorbitant bills, her ever increasing bills or just amusing herself? Je ne sais pas. Or all of the above. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. To this salon, she invited the first African-Americans to be guests rather than servants. And that was groundbreaking. Though the gossip around this whole thing, not the African-Americans, but the nature of her guests and their purpose there really spiraled out of control. Infidelity, spying. Again, you know, you can't just sit in a room and talk to people because there's got to be something going on. Yeah, but in November 1864, for the first time in over 30 years, the president was elected for a second term. Though you should note he did not get elected as a Republican president; he got elected from the National Union Party.
0: Hmm, there's a little knowledge for you. Yeah, that's his third uh, affiliation.
1: Point. Yeah. Abraham had a prophetic dream that he would not survive his second term. These people were both very superstitious in this way. Abraham Lincoln once telegraphed his wife that he had had a horrible dream and could she go get Tad's pistol out of his room and lock it up someplace. So Mary, hearing Abraham Lincoln's dream, bought a new set of morning clothes after he told her this dream. The stress was getting to Mary very badly. The first family went to see some troops in a place that was recently taken by the Union. It was a big win. A big win. There was light at the end of the tunnel at last. But Abraham Lincoln went ahead. He was so excited. He couldn't wait. He went on horseback while the ladies were getting ready. You know how it is. Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. The husband's peace out. Out the door. (laughs) He went ahead. And by the time Mary got there, now keep in mind, the carriage traffic jam was epic. She finally got there a little late and found that another lady was sitting beside him on her own horse, innocent as can be, also saw the first lady's carriage and simply made way. There wasn't embarrassment. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It was fine. Yeah. Oh, oh. I was just keeping him company while I'm waiting for you. And it was 100% fine. There was nothing going on. Mary lost it. I'm. I'm so embarrassed to tell you this. Mary lost it in front of all those people. Soldiers, dignitaries, visitors. Can you imagine how embarrassed Abraham Lincoln was? I Yes, I can. <laughs> and then she regretted it almost the second it was over and kind of spent the rest of this little trip totally on the DL, playing with Tad away by a river, like yeah, totally embarrassed. Like she didn't even want to see anybody. She knew she was in the wrong. Yeah. But there was a great tension from this point, as you can imagine, another disappointment from him uh, at the moment of his triumph that she had surprised him and let him down this badly. I So that was really bad. I'm sorry to have to report that incident because it was not good.
0: No, it wasn't. But how many of us have done something stupid when we're supposed to be really joyful? Something comes out and it's just its just not even what you would have thought you would do. Haven't you done something
1: like that? I'm more prone to say a thing I think is going to be innocent that turns into a thing.
0: <gasps> yeah, I, I'm thinking of one time, my husband really liked uh, Neil Diamond. And we went to see him in concert, and I just made too many "Are you going to throw your panties on the stage?" jokes, and he just lost it. I, he was like, You're so mad at me." It, was, it should have been super joyful, and I I ruined it but, in some regards. But Neil, you know, Neil brought it back for him. But <laughs> if only I had
1: clearance to play a Neil Diamond song at the end of this episode, I would oh, totally do it. I could sing one, "Cracklin' Rosie," get on board. I do not think I could sing one. I don't think I would know
0: a Neil Diamond song if it hit me in the face. Oh, now you're asking me. Uh, Is he the guy with the chest hair? Yeah, he's like, where's those low black pants? Sweet Caroline. Okay, I do know that song. Dun, dun, dun. I'm stopping singing.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, well, moving on to a different subject. I know, <laughs>
0: On April 9th, 1865, General Robert E. Lee surrendered and the Civil War was ending. I mean, It wasn't quite finished. There was a couple little skirmishes after that, but for the most part, it was done. And when he got the news,
1: see, this makes me feel a little better because the rupture was kind of bad. When he got this news, though... His first instinct was to rush to tell Mary as soon as he found out and said, let us be happy. We should be more cheerful. And so I think it was fixed or on the road to being fixed. I feel happy about that.
0: And they had such a good relationship. You know, one little flub up or two or three isn't going to ruin all those years of really amazing marriage. So five days after that. Uh, they had a lovely carriage ride where they talked about their future, where they were talking about the end of all this terrible stuff that's happened. Our future's going to be glorious. Well, they'd never known peace in the White House. And how
1: different were these next few years going to be? Like, <laughs> how is this even going? You know, and afterwards, Springfield or Europe, she'd never been to Europe.
0: That's right. I mean, remember when you like early in your life, when you've just planned for the future and you got that little glow of excitement in your belly, just talking about, you know, maybe we'll do this and maybe we'll do that. Anything could happen. You know, it was very exciting. That's how they must have been feeling. And they were getting back to the real Mary
1: and Abraham Lincoln at last, I think. And they took their time that night dressing to go out. They were a little late. They headed to Ford's Theater to see a very well recommended funny play called Our American Cousin.
0: And this might be a good time to take a little bit of a break and when we come back we'll talk about what happens at the play. Mm-hmm.
1: We are back. Our fearless couple, Abraham and Mary Lincoln, have gone to Ford's Theater to see a play called Our American Cousin. Spirits were high. 1,700 people stood up when Abraham Lincoln appeared in his box and sang Hail to the Chief. The play was hilarious, and the Lincolns were seen to be holding hands in the box when suddenly there was a gunshot. President Lincoln had been shot in the head and slumped over onto Mary. A guest in the box tried to grab the shooter, who we now know was John Wilkes Booth, but he leaped onto the stage and got away, and most of the blood all over everybody was in fact from that guest, who had been wounded by the sword of the assailant. They took Lincoln across the street... And Mary was so hysterical, kissing Abraham and begging him, come back, come back to me, come back to me, that the men with Lincoln kicked her out to an anteroom and wouldn't let her back in to see her husband. And nine hours later from the attack, Abraham Lincoln died.
0: Lincoln was the first president to be assassinated. It's kind of hard to believe that it took to 16. Mary did
1: not go to the funeral and she wouldn't see most visitors that came to pay their condolences, which... People wouldn't understand again. This kills me. People would not give her the benefit of the doubt. They just felt insulted. Come on. She was more dead than alive, was the word from the inside. And she did not leave the White House for well over a month. Um, Her successor was very impatient to get in while simultaneously unwilling to
0: be seen booting her out. She left behind her florals and her flowers. She put on black morning dress that she would wear for the rest of her life. Sounded a lot like
1: Queen Victoria, and maybe that was her model. After Albert died, Queen Victoria only wore black. Mm -hmm. Here's one thing. She roused herself enough, kind of during early, early morning, she had angered the whole town of Springfield, Illinois, so badly by rejecting this grand burial place that they had arranged and had paid for already in the middle of town to honor their native son. Or, you know, adopted native son. But Mary realized there was no room for a family vault. No room for Mary, in fact. No room for any sons, etc. She flat out rejected it. She was so antagonistic toward this monument that Springfield was really not very excited to get her back in town. Because people had spent money. People had dug in their pockets and donated what little spare cash they could For this monument in the middle of town and they'd paid for the land already and they couldn't sell it back and now Lincoln's not going to go there. And now that she was no longer Madam President, the debt collectors came calling so she can't go back to Springfield.
0: So her son, Robert, was at this point, he was a lawyer in Chicago. That was the only place she could think to go. She had Tad with her still. So they did move to Chicago. Uh, They moved into a hotel.
1: First, in her royalty to a very expensive hotel.
0: And then as reality set in, you know, they had to move
1: to a cheaper hotel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Her portion of Abraham Lincoln's estate was in limbo. Somewhat, honestly, somewhat because of her extravagance with expenses. People were untangling who was responsible for what? And also a little revenge, if you ask
0: me. Oh, I think so. But you know what? And She had done a, a decent job saving, which seems kind of ridiculous when you think about she had a lot of debt. They actually had saved $70,000 from his salary, but it wasn't in her name because he had died without a will.
1: Which seems ridiculous for a president in wartime. A president who was a lawyer. Maybe it was a superstition. He didn't want to make a will because that would mean, you know how they they are, those people.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, his, the assassination attempts were, I mean, from right away, they didn't even get to Washington before the first assassination attempt happened years ago. So that was a lot of oversight on Abe's part.
1: So Congress wasn't very happy about giving her a pension, although we're jumping ahead, though. Later, they did settle on $3,000. You know, that's about $42,000 today. A sum Mary found completely insulting and much later got increased to $5,000 a year, which is $72,000 a year. But the hostility was very, very apparent at the outset. They did not release anything but the barest living allowance to her. And the creditors came calling and writing, you're not Madam President anymore. You are a woman who owes us a lot of money. No more help slipping extras into appropriations bills now. Um, These (laughs) bills were her own responsibility. Some merchants just let her return things, like especially the jeweler. And honestly, you know, you'd rather have the stuff back than be uncertain, wouldn't you? So why wouldn't you let her return the things? She sold off some items, like if a particular person had admired something in the past, She offered the items for sale to
0: those specific people, and that was very successful. The thing that keeps getting to me is there was money. You know, there was savings, but her son didn't think she was going to be wise with it. So he kind of kept it away from her as much as possible. It was the executor, too. I'm, I'm holding Robert responsible. I didn't like him very much. I guess, in defense of Robert, there toward the end, she had gone on some really odd
1: shopping sprees. She was famous for getting 84 pairs of gloves for the inauguration. If you changed them as often as you possibly could, you couldn't get through 84. And 50 pairs of stockings, lots of duplication, just really unwise shopping. This isn't just, I need to look fancy, therefore I'm going to buy extravagant things. This was like kind of crazy spending.
0: She's an accessory hoarder. Is that that a thing?
1: She hired a man to solicit donors for what she was calling the Mary Lincoln Fund, like a GoFundMe. Hmm. She got less money than she was expecting. I mean, people in Springfield who might have been expected or happy to contribute to the Mary Lincoln Fund, as no money was really being released to her except Mm -hmm. a bare minimum, people in Springfield had already given their money for that monument she rejected so vociferously. So they weren't about to give any money. She had alienated a lot of other people that had been her friends and could have given money. And her known extravagance kept away a lot of potential donors. Like, yes, I'll give you this money, but what are you going to do with it? She retorted back, you men have the advantage of women in being able to go out in the world and earn a living. Which I, I was like, why does that sound familiar? Why, why, why? And then I realized, in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility... The Emma Thompson movie, 1995. Eleanor has a line that said, You will inherit your fortune. We cannot even earn ours. Ooh. She's with Edward, and he's explaining how impoverished his mother's actions had made him. And she's like, look, you, I want to earn money and can't. I can't even do anything about them, my situation.
0: She tried to sell her wardrobe, but got caught up with some shady brokers who threatened to expose her poverty to the world. Um, She and Elizabeth were working together, and it, it didn't work out as they had planned. Um, they went to an auction house, and they got an estimate of
1: $100,000 in... That year's money. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a shameful endeavor for the wife of a public figure. Everyone was not very happy about it. It wasn't very ladylike. But, you know, who cares about that? Obviously not her. She never has. Everyone trooped through to look at the clothes. No one bought them. And their extravagance made people angry all over again, knowing these had all been bought during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Started infuriating people. And their styles made people mock them. And I have to say, the only time that I read that Abraham Lincoln ever had something bad to say about his wife's dress, there was a super low-cut one, and he said, you know, if this cat would cut off her tail and put it nearer to the head, I would like the dress a lot better. <laughs> Speaking of another comment about that, there is a comment in Louisa May Alcott's Little Women that's almost the exact same. Again, 1994, Winona writer. Oh, really? Meg goes to a fancy party, and the people dress her up in the latest fashion uh-huh. And she she meets up with Teddy in the corridor or whatever. And she's like, oh, this dress is ridiculous. I can't move in it. And he said, tie some of that train around your neck. where It'll do you a little more good. I'm sitting here quite impressed, Beckett. <laughs> I have a really? mind like a steel trap for trivia. Don't, don't I, mess with me. during. No, any- you
0: have a mind like a steel trap for everything. I, I don't I'm not messing with you. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I tell you, my favorite, uh, not favorite, but the really sad favorite thing that they tried to do is they wanted to send the wardrobe on tour, but that was another failed plan. But you got to give them some credit. Mary and Elizabeth were trying. They were trying to do something. Well,
1: and you know what's even kind of... I don't even know what tactic this was. Journalists would describe it and they would always say that it had perspiration stains under the arms and their shawls were covered in food stains. And I'm like, really? So they, they denigrated not only the style but the cleanliness, which was just like... That was too far. This was called the old clothes scandal. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Mary reacted in typical Mary fashion out of scale out of line really people said that all these clothes were paid for by republican corruption and she had traded favors for all this stuff and so she was so mad she was mad at her own people for no one supporting her even if they didn't want to dress they should have bought it to help her out and she lashed out and she gave names and she talked bad about people and you know journalists lapped it up like i said In the first episode, Mary, the press corps is not your friend. No. So, these following words started coming out and being attached to her. Gaudy. Vulgar. Get ready for this. A mercenary prostitute. Ow! mm -hmm, This is not good. Accused her of blackmail. Woo! Did this blow up badly? Her oldest son, Robert, who she always called in private, my bad son, by the way, (laughs) was so embarrassed by all this that he went off and got his own apartment. Helpful.
0: So helpful. He freaked out on her and made her cry. I told you I don't like Robert. If there's a chance that something bad happened, I'm going to just blame him if he's if he's anywhere around it for the rest of her life. Well,
1: Abraham's old
0: partner, Mr. Herndon,
1: took this opportunity to give a series of speeches about his relationship with Abraham Lincoln, including the juicy bit of gossip that, quote, Abraham Lincoln had only loved one woman, his first girlfriend and Rutledge, and never Mary Todd Lincoln.
0: Ugh. Marion Herndon had had some bad blood back in the day, and this was his chance to repay her for the kindness.
1: Well, and... I don't know if it was pheromones or just a fight over influence over Abraham Lincoln, probably the latter. I don't know that they knew about pheromones in the 1840s (laughs) and 1850s. But um, I have to tell you, his embroidery and his slant on all the history, you know, he did an extensive series of interviews and he suppressed favorable things and exhibited negative things. And his slant kind of colored all biographies of Mary from this point on, I think, up until pretty... Pretty recently, people have tried to be a little more kind to Mary. Now, the negative things happened, but then when you suppress all the positive things, that seems, you know. So she finally received her money. The money that, in fact, had been hers all along. Had she only received it earlier, so much of this bad publicity could have been avoided. But alas, no. A pretty handsome amount. But this is sort of her fault, too. Okay. She had begged Elizabeth Keckley, begged her as her only friend, please abandon... Your dressmaking business and all of your customers to please, 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 please come help me in my time of need. Please. And Mrs. Keckley had for a year. Mrs. Keckley even had canvassed the black community. Frederick Douglass. Okay, big names. (laughs) To fundraise for Lincoln's widow as a way to repay her husband who had been the great emancipator. Rejected, as Mary said, it wouldn't look good. Come on. Anyway, so throwing that favor back in everybody's face, number one... And then when Mary got her inheritance, she shared none of her money with Elizabeth Keckley, didn't even compensate her for the year. And it's not just a year, because you've let clients go. They've found other dressmakers. They're gone. Yeah. And she she stood by her when nobody else was there. So Elizabeth Keckley, I don't think out of revenge. I don't. But of real need, honestly, I think. We'll cover it more thoroughly in the next episode. But yeah, uh, wrote a memoir of her life that was called Behind the Scenes 30 Years a Slave and Four Years in the White House, subtitled A Novel.
0: <laughs> I really think she was writing the parts about in it that are about Mary. I think she was really trying to portray her in a better light. But what she did was print some of the letters between the two of them, and Mary felt extremely betrayed by this. It didn't go over, I don't think, like Elizabeth had planned.
1: Betrayal on all sides, as far as Mary was concerned, from a country (laughs) her her husband had brought through the worst crisis in history. She couldn't see her part in any of this, by the way. There was some culpability in almost all of these crises. However, she didn't really deserve the cavalcade of crap that was rolling down the hill at her, I don't think. She set off to Europe with Tad, (laughs) who was 12, quote, to live in exile among strangers rather than among my enemies.
0: I think that was actually a pretty brilliant move on her part. She enrolled Tad in boarding school in Germany, and she traveled around.
1: Well, she found contentment and companionship. I don't know if she was keeping her mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Brand new Mary, brand new continent, but she found some contentment in Frankfurt for years in this small expat community there, so that was good, and she was only chased back to America by the franco prussian
0: War. Just as she's happy there, but no, she can't stay. She has to go back.
1: I know. I don't understand. Well, how about this for another piece of bad luck? Right after their return to America, Tad, her youngest son, her constant companion, died of either pneumonia or... Or tuberculosis right upon their return.
0: She can't really catch a break at this point.
1: Well, now began a series of visits to health spas, spiritualist outposts, and the taking of sedatives just to be able to sleep. She became known for, the books say, wandering the streets of Chicago. I don't mm-hmm. think she's wandering the streets of Chicago. I think she's doing errands. She's not like wandering. I, you know, wandering the streets of Chicago seems like randomly crossing the street and talking to herself and this and that. No, she is walking on the sidewalks of Chicago with her money sewn into her petticoats. $50,000 worth of it sometimes. All that mad buying of stuff in multiples again. I,
0: mm. She really likes her shopping. Gives her some kind of comfort.
1: Okay, this is actually kind of, I mean, it's a horrible story, but I, her solution to it was kind of good. She drank some coffee and she was convinced that someone had poisoned it. Mm-hmm. So she decided to drink another cup of coffee with more poison in it so that she would throw up. So that okay. showed a certain level of smart, I guess. And just like that old proverb, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not following you. well, one day there was a knock at the door and it was, oof. It was a giant fly. Get away! <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I mean giant. Well, the size. Wow, well, that was quite. A, that must have been a giant fly to be able to knock at the door.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> no, it's like a giant fly, like on my paper, and it freaked me out. It was like a giant raisin. Okay, um, a giant flying raisin. For real, there was a knock on the door, and it wasn't a giant fly. It was policemen there to take her to court. Who is behind all this, Beckett? Her son, Robert. Robert. Yes. Her son, Robert, wanted to charge her as insane. And in Chicago at this time, you can't simply just airlift people and put them into a mental facility, as happened to Zelda Fitzgerald. You had to go through a court process. Robert, who had spent months putting together his case, who had some, say, bought witnesses like sales clerks and waitresses and hotel employees... Mm-hmm. She was being followed. So the whole thought that she was being followed was not a paranoid delusion. It was reality. She was just noticing what was happening. Mm-hmm. And it
0: was so, Robert's fault.
1: <laughs> that is true. Well, she always called him her bad son. So
0: He's you know. living up to it. She She's very perceptive. Uh, she had five doctors who didn't even examine her, but just took his word for it to say that she was indeed incompetent.
1: At 56 years of age, she was committed by an all-male jury to a mental institution. She rushed out amid great publicity mm-hmm. from pharmacist to pharmacist to try to buy a lethal dose of laudanum. But people recognized her and they knew what she was up to. And finally, at like the third or fourth pharmacy, she got a hold of a bottle and drank it down, but it was camp for water and sugar. And they'd recognized her there too, so they'd given her a placebo. Now, what was she confined for exactly? Other than being a troublesome female, which seems to be the theme of most mental institution commitments, not only on our show, but at this period of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The official diagnosis was monomania. So that's irrational in some behaviors, but in others, quite normal. Okay. That's and so <laughs> religious fervor. Like, for example, they blamed her. She had a picture with Abraham Lincoln's ghost.
0: Okay, yeah, that is freaky. I'll put it in the show notes. This spirit photography was actually a thing at the time, and it, it was a picture of her, and Abe is, like, misty behind her uh, with his hand on her shoulder. But this photograph gave her so much comfort. So, of course,
1: she had it. All of us probably have some irrational behavior. But can I please put it to you this way? Even discounting losing her mother at six which was bad enough okay she lost one child who was three a child who was 11 a third child who was 18 and her husband was shot right in front of her bled all over her and then everyone in her world hated her so how level would you be how level would you be it's easy to say oh she's a kook or whatever but think with your emotions No, I'd
0: be throwing this huge, the hugest pity party in the world. I, yeah, they would be committing me. Yeah. So
1: one modern book I read said that the proper diagnosis probably ought to have been narcissism, which is the pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's own attributes. And I can kind of see that a little bit. Yeah. I can. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I said, though, easy for us to say from here. Mm-hmm. She spent some months in Bellevue, mostly treated, that's in quotes, with rest, food, and fresh air. That sounds good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And opium, morphine, and hydrates. Okay. Perhaps fun, <laughs> but not good. No. <laughs> but Mrs. Lincoln was not really having this. Not really having this. She annoyed her son, Robert, by behaving perfectly rationally, which he said was just a ploy to get out. Like, well, then how are you supposed to get out if you can't behave rationally and get out?
0: If you can behave rationally, how does that make you insane?
1: Almost from the beginning, she tried to smuggle letters out and they kept getting caught, kept getting caught, kept getting caught. She finally got one out. To some friends, including a female lawyer, Mm -hmm. a female lawyer. This is from the spiritualist community. So Mm -hmm. um, people she'd been hanging out with in the past few years, but a female lawyer who helped her get out mostly by threatening Robert with embarrassment for imprisoning his own mother because of male disapproval of her independence. So she had a PR campaign going against him. Like, oh, do you want to think about people spending months ramping up a campaign? Because guess who else can do that? Robert Lincoln. I can do that. And I have the leisure time to do it. I don't have any business to tend to. I'm (laughs) going to get after you. I'm going to drag you through the mud. Are you ready for that? So her good behavior and this PR campaign kind of forced his hand. And she was released, finally, to go live with her oldest sister and brother-in-law in in Springfield.
0: But again, not in her house. I can understand, because it probably would have just pained her so much just to see it and to remember, you know, their life when they lived there.
1: And Elizabeth, her sister, wrote in a letter to Robert, I have no hesitation in proclaiming her not only sane, but more reasonable and cheerful than she ever was before. Though I will tell you, this is Becca talking, not Elizabeth, that she <laughs> did walk around with a pistol in her pocket. Tad's one from before that she had taken and hidden. She had a pistol yeah. in her pocket because she was still afraid of assassins. But you know what? I'd be afraid of assassins too if A, assassins had loosened the driver's seat and thrown me out of a carriage and B, my husband had been shot right in front of me.
0: Mm-hmm. And That's- all those years of getting assassination threats. To take
1: precautions after something has happened to you is Uh not crazy. Although it sounds silly to have a pistol in your dress sitting in a parlor of a house. I don't even think that's a reason for pointing a finger.
0: How many people are carrying weapons these days? Um, Everybody. Yeah, and they didn't live through the Civil War or their husband's assassination.
1: Well, she got control of her money at last uh, out of Robert's thumb print and moved far away to France for four years... Until poor health brought her back. She had fallen off a ladder and injured her spine very, very badly to the point where she really did need some care. Although I don't know why we didn't just hire someone.
0: Well, her her eyesight was going, too. I mean, she was getting a little bit older. you know. Wouldn't you be better? I just think this whole time I'm like, can we just not hire a
1: female companion, pay her exorbitantly for her cheerful service? But, you know, we're not going to pay anyone exorbitantly. I know.
0: And stay in France. Yeah, she can't. She's not going to pay anybody exorbitantly. Nope, nope, nope. So on
1: the way back to America on that occasion, the famous Sarah Bernhardt literally saved her by grabbing her by the back of the skirt from being washed down the stairs by an errant wave. (laughs) (laughs) And Sarah Bernhardt kind of jokingly is like, oh, I guess it wasn't your time. And Mary reluctantly agreed. Evidently, it's not God's will that I die today. Mm.
0: (laughs) Now, she did uh, launch another battle with Congress for increase in her pension, um, but and it was eventually granted, but she would never receive it. On July 15th, 1882, which coincidentally was the anniversary of Tad's death, mm-hmm. she collapsed and died of a stroke at Elizabeth's house. She was 64 years old.
1: Now, her funeral, weirdly was kind of a polar opposite of the treatment she'd gotten in life. There was proper respect. Even Mary might have approved of it. Which seems like, oh, are we all repentant now?
0: Did enough time go by?
1: Are we taking a hard look at our behavior? Anyway, at last, you know, she was with Abraham Lincoln again underneath the obelisk, not in the center of town, but in a family vault in Oak Ridge Cemetery just outside of town where she had wanted where she had fought to be um wow Uh, we're done what to say i what to say
0: i don't know she just she she was all over the place I what a colorful life she lived i i don't know yeah i don't know was she the worst first lady
1: or the best was she a trailblazer was she born in the wrong time would she have fit in in Versailles? What, uh, what if you. she'd been a man? That's the big one. What if she'd been a man? Her ambition could have made her great. Yeah. Could have been expressed properly. Properly is in quotes. You know I don't believe properly is a thing. But like, <laughs> Except for touching the back of your back to a chair. No, no, no.
0: Mine actually isn't touching the chair right now. Every it's time just, I sit like this, I think of you.
1: I'm crazy. <laughs> but, um, but. Okay, so I guess I'm just going to put it down to her being a victim of her time. Because so, from here, with my non-psychology degree, so much of what (laughs) happened, not the deaths or anything like that, but so much might have been different if society hadn't put the pressures on her that it had. Or hadn't prevented her from being herself. Okay. She Um. was a victim of her time, for sure, but I can see how she is a controversial figure.
0: And that's kind of why I love her.
1: And now it's time, I believe, for media, and we should probably start with books, although I have to tell you, we should cut our list
0: down considerably, because I think we both have a giant stack of books. We do. Um, you know what? I'm going to pick one grown-up book, one young adult book, and one kid's book. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right, and I'm going to start with uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, a biography by Jean H. Baker. Um, I really like this one. It was very detailed. It had a lot of the good, a lot of good stories in it. It was pretty, um, it covered her life pretty well. And it was fairly easy to read, even though, I mean, it's a, it's a grown up book, but it wasn't, you know, extraordinarily complicated or complex. It was laid out really well.
1: I do have that book and I am a victim of my reputation. I got that book out of the library. And the second I got it, and I swear I didn't do it, the almost whole middle third of the book just literally fell out onto the floor. And I hadn't even read it yet. (laughs) And they're never going to believe me, given my record at this library, that I had nothing to do with it. It makes me feel sad, but it's my own fault for previous things I've done. But this
0: time it wasn't my fault. It was like book karma. (laughs) I think so. That's funny. Oh, that's hysterical. Do you want to do one grown-up book? I really liked the
1: Lincoln's Portrait of a Marriage by Daniel Mark Epstein. I thought it was um, kind of an interesting insight and gave me a little bit more of a full picture of especially the Springfield years.
0: Yeah I really, I really want I had read I had read um, a review of that I think online somewhere and I really wanted it and my library didn't have it so I'm glad you read it. Uh, let's see as a YA book, this is a series by Enslow Publishers. It's Mary Todd Lincoln, Tragic First Lady of the Civil War by Mary E. Hall., Again, it's a YA, but you know what a lot of times these books are really good to read through and just get the basic idea, you know the basic outline of her life or anybody's life because there's a lot of books you know there are like this. So I like this one. This was a good one.
1: Well, I don't think I have any YA. Mm, I don't exactly know where the line is there. I mean, Harry Potter. But I don't know where the line is for real. So here's my kid's book. It's by Kathleen Kroll called Mary Todd Lincoln, I'm usually the smartest person in the room. (laughs) And I really think that that is completely true. So I liked that one. Here's a book that I really liked, and maybe because I'm a nerd. But this is called The Mary Lincoln Enigma, Historians on America's Most Controversial First Lady. And what it is, is a series of essays by noted historians, but only about very narrow slices of her life. For example, the... The story about Ann Rutledge that we talked about um, toward the end, like, was he really (laughs) in love with Ann Rutledge? Well, let's talk about that. Or how was the Springfield House? Here's
0: a little tiny bit about that. So I really liked that. Oh, that does sound cool. My off the beaten path book was What Was Cooking in Mary Todd Lincoln's White House by Tanya Larkin. It's cooking throughout American History Series. There's Abigail Adams, Dolly Madison, Julia Grant, um, a whole bunch of... They're, they're kids' cookbooks and there's a little bit of history on each page. And then there's recipes like chocolate dipped strawberries. It's just And there's pictures, you know, Mary Goes Shopping. It, it's, I thought it was a fun book for kids, you know, to talk about history and then make a f- dish that she may have served at one of her parties.
1: I really like that. You know, um, a lot of people teach units on Laura Ingalls Wilder that way. And then mm-hmm. they'll make butter or they'll make you know, like maple candy if it's cold enough or whatever. So I think that's a really good way to teach history. Not, and not just for kids. Yeah. Or... The last book that I'm going to really talk about here is I have this book, and there's a whole series of these, Everyday Life During you know the Middle Ages, Everyday Life. book. This is Everyday Life During the Civil War, A Guide for Writers, Students, and Historians. And it gives you a little overview of terms for clothing. Like, you know, not too many of us in America, I know it's more common in Britain, know what a haversack is. What are the characteristics of cities during this time period? Terms you might come across and then a timeline and some slang. It's really good and it's totally various and it'll help you understand, I think, a little bit more about the era.
0: I loved it. Oh, that does sound really good. I want to get my hands on that one. I didn't get that one.
1: Yeah, there's a whole bunch and, I, you know, they're never together in the library because they're going to be filed by their time period and not by their title, but everyday life turning mm-hmm. and then fill in your time period. There's probably one for the Renaissance too. Oh, cool. Etc. That's okay. Do you have any more books? I do have one more book, although it's not directly related to what we're talking about here. We did mention that we're going to link you to a biography of Abraham Lincoln. We mentioned that mm-hmm. in the body of the of the podcast. So I recommend a dot lincoln a biography clever by ronald c white is a good one to start out with
0: okay all right so i guess going to websites you want to go there sure firstladies.org and it's got um bios of all the first ladies on it um also whitehouse.gov has short bios on all the first ladies
1: the house in lexington
0: that is open for tours. It's a very simple website, mtlhouse.org. It was uh, simple to navigate it, and they actually had quite a bit of stuff on it. I was yeah. kind of surprised with that one. Um, it was the first house restored to honor a first lady, although she didn't really live there too much. It, it has a lot of really cool stuff. Do you have any <laughs> other websites?
1: <laughs> That's not how I file them. Let me see. I have a lot more websites, actually. Oh. I've already sent this list to Susan so she can put them up, but I'll just tell you uh, what they are about. There is okay. a dismissal, an essay dismissing the whole Anne Rutledge romance story. Um, I have also a link to the Smithsonian's display of Mary Todd Lincoln's purple velvet dress. And also, mm-hmm. from the Illinois Times, a strawberry party and cake recipe. Mm-hmm. RogerJNorton.com has several things on it I really like. Uh, her travels to Europe chapter that I really liked. And also about the China. About the China that she mm-hmm. chose for the White House. There's a page at rogernorton.com okay. about that too. Um, her brother David's okay. controversy is at gettysburgcompiler.com. We'll link you to the specific page. It's kind of shocking. And then as promised, a link to the where to 4s of the Republican and Democratic platform switch that happened in history. And then I thought, see, because I'm a nerd, I've also got you a link to the 1860 Republican Party's platform. Mm -hmm. And there is a particular poke on section six to why Abraham Lincoln might be so mad about Mary Lincoln's extravagances, because the platform of the party specifically mentions we're so shocked at the Democratic Party's extravagances, blah, blah, blah. And it's really kind of embarrassing that the very first president the Republicans elect then has a wife who went off the rails in that way. So. <laughs> Uh, right from the get-go, like right out of
0: the gate, she's going off on extravagances. Ooh, It also lays out their position on the concept of slavery. Which is important. Um, you know what? Going back to um, places to visit, the Lincoln Home National Historic Site in Springfield, Illinois, on their website, you can see a virtual tour of the floor plans of the house. Nice. So yeah. And I thought there, they had a lot of really neat stuff on there too. So if you want to, if you can't get to Springfield, Illinois, that's a good way to see it.
1: And um, just for giggles, there is a Geico commercial Mm -hmm. featuring (laughs) Abraham Lincoln and Mary Don Lincoln where she asks him if the dress makes her booty look fat. And (laughs) since he's honest, Abe, well, hijinks ensue.
0: I know, you cannot tell a lie. That is a funny one. Okay, I'll put that on there too.
1: There is a very, very brief cameo of Mary Todd Lincoln as played by Zoe Deschanel on Drunk History Volume 5. But it's really about Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. She just appears at the end (laughs) and says several bad words. (laughs) Because by that time the historian has really had it and is laying down on the couch with her shoes off. So by the time Zoë Deschanel gets there, there's not too many lines that she's
0: got. So, mm. so you could tolerate it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes.
1: Well, and then the movie Lincoln, starring Daniel Day Lewis and Sally Field.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, okay, this is a problem. It's not that I had a problem with it. I mean, it did win an Oscar. It was it was up for a whole lot of awards. And I thought Sally Field as Mary, she was, I thought she was really amazing. But my problem was that I had just been um, binging the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And so the pace of the movie kind of kept putting me to sleep. <laughs> I know.
1: I found the portrayal of Mary Lincoln very, what oh, is the word, peevish without explaining anything. I don't know. I guess more perpetuating the, it wasn't a 360 the, degree view. But then again, it wasn't about her
0: either. So she, she had just such a small part in the movie. I was actually surprised at that. You know, I thought she would play. I mean, I know she didn't really politically play a big role in it, but I thought she'd have a bigger part given all the hype for the movie and all that, you know, they had talked about for Sally Field going in. I was like, oh, she's going to be it's going to be a big role. And it really it I was surprised that it wasn't.
1: The opening scene of that movie when Lincoln's talking to the two African-American soldiers was so good and so touching um, when they knew his Gettysburg Address and just the the emotions raised by that and how earnestly they had put their trust in him. But they were telling him at the same time, like, look, we're putting our lives on the line for you. It's important that you come through here. You know, I mean, it wasn't ever said that strictly, but it was like they were not supplicants. They're like, we're men. We are men. Mm -hmm. Fighting the same cause that you are. It was... That was great. The great opening scene. Great scene with him and little Tad. And you know, in a movie, when one character kisses the other character's forehead, I don't even know if that's in some kind of film school rule book, but that means true love. So anytime... You can kiss people on the lips, whatever. That could mean whenever. But if somebody kisses somebody else on the forehead, for some reason, that's shorthand for true love.
0: I think my viewing of Sally Field, I appreciated her more as Mary Lincoln, because before that I had watched the Mary Tyler Moore, Sam Watterson miniseries from the 80s. Um, It's Emmy Award nominated. And I guess back then it was really good. But her portrayal of Mary was so insipid that I could hardly I, I just I couldn't watch the whole thing. Also, Sam Watterson plays Saul Bernstein on Grace and Frankie, which I was also binging at the time. And I was having a really hard time seeing him as Lincoln when he's this really fun, soft character in this comedy. So, quite frankly, Netflix binges ruined all my Lincoln movies. (laughs) That is...
1: (laughs) I think the only thing I'm binging is Gilmore Girls, but I hardly would even call that a binge anymore because I don't even pay them any attention anymore. I just well, kind of have them on in the background.
0: <laughs> you've seen them all so much, you could probably have them on and be speaking the dialogue. I don't know. I guess just to prevent from getting an e-
1: email correction, although that's fine if you want to send an email corrections. I just wanted to clarify something that I had said in the very first segment. And I started thinking about it. And I started thinking that people might have, because it's a technicality, and I just wanted to cover <laughs> the technicality. We, you know, okay, so there were six states that had seceded before Abraham Lincoln took office. But there were seven states in the Confederacy. But the fact is, Texas, the seventh, had this administrative problem where their governor wouldn't sign the papers they wanted him to, and they had to replace him with his lieutenant, which took past the inauguration. So technically, there were seven states that started the confederacy but texas was fighting with each other and couldn't get it together before the inauguration so they did you know what i mean like so there were seven but not in time Uh uh-huh yeah i got it okay and then four more states joined after that process so i just wanted to make it clear that yes we know about texas
0: but you know they had some issues okay I guess thank you for the clarification. It's just a timing issue, but that's good. All right. And that will do it for today. That's the end of our Mary Todd Lincoln
1: series. We hope that we have told you a lot you didn't know. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Follow us all over our far-reaching media empire at The History Chicks. Except Tumblr. I've never come to grips with Tumblr. Put your historical vacation photos in Instagram for the world to see at hashtag HistoryChicksFieldTrip. Sarah just sent us one from her visit to the Craft and Folk Art Museum in Los Angeles. We'd love to see yours too. If you get a chance, and are so inclined, leaving a review in iTunes for us, or even letting some friends know about the show would be very great. Thank you so much for listening.
2: Catch me if you can. Hey, ends full of sand. Cities rise and fall. While the heartbeat slows down. Love in the vertical goes and inspires burn your head again, again I think you like the fire